Let's go ahead and bow it as we come to it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. And Father, I pray that we would just have our hearts open and our eyes open to receive your word this morning, Father. Lord, I pray that we would grow, that we would increase, that we would mature. And Father, as always, I pray that we would leave today not the same way that we came in, but Father, that we would know you more. We'd have a greater revelation of who you are. And that, Father, that you would uh, uh, use what we learned today, Father, to make an impact in the lives around us. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to go ahead and continue. This is the last in the series on the Trinity. And today we're talking about the Holy Spirit, who is the last person of the the Trinity, as we talked about before. There's uh, one God, but three persons. We have Jesus, we have the Father, and we have the Holy Spirit. They are not equal to to one another as far as they are not the same as one another. They're they're distinct persons, but they are all equally God. And the Holy Spirit is one which is kind of interesting, at least as far as learning goes. I think it's kind of glossed over by most Christians. Unfortunately, they they don't have a real grasp of, of who the Holy Spirit actually is. You could ask any Christian who is the Father and what's His purpose, and they could probably tell you. You could ask any Christian who Jesus is and what is His purpose, and they could easily tell you that. That's the one most Christians know. But if I were to ask you who is the Holy Spirit and what is His purpose in a Christian's life, I bet you you would probably have to think a little bit harder on that one to know who He is and what He's supposed to do in our life. Matter of fact, there are many Christians that think that the Holy Spirit is some some sort of like force, or some sort of just, just power. You know, the, the, the Holy Spirit is, is almost referred to as a thing instead of a person. But the reality is, is that He's not a force. He's not a thing. He is a person. And He's the third person of the Godhead. He is equally God, just like Jesus and just like the Father. And He shares the exact same attributes that, that God does. He has all the same attributes that God has because He is God. He is omnipotent he is which is all powerful he's omniscient which is all knowing and he's omnipresent which is he is everywhere all at once and like i said today i want to spend some time really looking into who the holy spirit is so that way if you're ever asked what is the purpose of the holy spirit who is he then then you have an answer ready because now you'll know and then the last thing we'll look at is uh, in addition to his purpose is that god or that the holy spirit is the the, the third person of the Godhead, like I said, but he also has a specific purpose in salvation as well. And uh, the, the short, short of that is, is that God the Father is the one who created the plan of salvation. Jesus is the one who executed that plan. And uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who administers that plan in our life. Amen? All right. And once again, we have a bunch to go through today, so we're just going to jump right into it. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, we're going to first uh, focus on the fact the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just a force. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. How do we know that um, God or Jesus, God the Father or Jesus, is a person? One of the things that, go ahead, you raise your hand. Huh? How do we know that God is a person, God the Father is a person, or Jesus is a person? Well, also, he has characteristics of a person, too, right? That, that's how we know from the Bible that, that Jesus is a person, because when we look at his life, we see that he's a person. The Bible, it's very uh, easy to see that he, he lived, he walked, 
He spoke, he had thoughts, he had a mind, he had a will, he had emotion. And the same thing with the Father, right? That's how we know people are people, that people are persons, is because they have characteristics and attributes of people, right? And that's how we know that people aren't just forces. I, I know that Candace just isn't some force because she speaks to me, she has an opinion, she has a, a will of her own. She... <laughs> She, uh, she, she comes in and, and she, she smiles and she's happy. And she, all these things are characteristics of people, of persons. Now, has anybody here had gravity stop by and just say hi? <laughs> has anybody had gravity come and explain to you what they want, what it wants? Has anybody ever had magnetism speak up in your life? Not because these are uh, magnetism, gravity. These are forces. A force doesn't have a will. A force doesn't have emotion. They don't have characteristics of a person. And here we find that, that the Holy Spirit is demonstrated in having a, a will of his own. And we know that, that forces don't have wills. It says right here that, that these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, speaking of the gifts of the Spirit, who apportions to each one individually, individually as he wills. Gravity doesn't apply itself selectively in your life as it wills. It's a force. It just always is. And we begin to see that the Bible describe the Holy Spirit in a way that it can't be thought of as just a, a force or just some sort of supernatural power, but he is a person. He's the third person of the Godhead. You know, if the Holy Spirit were just some tool or some power, how would it be able to make decisions? How would it be able to have its own will? You know, that's another thing we can think of. If the Holy Spirit is just a tool, I have a hammer at home, which is just a tool. And not once has it ever hammered something on its own. I've tried. I've had projects, and I leave all the stuff on the table right next to the hammer. I'm hoping that it'll make a decision and have this stuff done by the time I get home. But it never does. Why is that? Because it doesn't have a will of its own. It's not a person. It doesn't have the ability to make a decision. And the same is true. I mean, think of any force that you can think of. Gravity, magnetism, electricity. None of those things can make a choice. They just are. But the Holy Spirit does. And that's just one of the characteristics of a person that the Holy Spirit demonstrates in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11, it says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit has intelligence, which is another characteristic of a person. Only people have intelligence. Only beings have intelligence. You don't find that from forces or gravity or any of those things. And then not only does he have intelligence, and the reason we know that is because the Spirit searches everything. In other words, you could use there as the Spirit researches everything. The Spirit knows everything. He says he even understands the thoughts of God the Father. And that's the thing. Is it a tool or a force? Even the most advanced supercomputer... Isn't, doesn't have intelligence. They can't 
do these things. The best thing, our most advanced tools can only parse data that is given to them. You give it data and it can do what it's been told with it, but there is no intelligence to it. You know, that's the secret about AI is, is that it's always limited to an extent. Artificial intelligence, while what everyone's trying to create, is always limited to an extent. There is no sentience because it's just a tool. But the Holy Spirit's not like that. It says that He knows even the thoughts of God. He searches all things. He knows all things. And He even comprehends the thoughts of God. Now that's pretty impressive because I haven't come close. Sometimes I, I try to uh, tell God how His thoughts should work. Sometimes I try to influence God doesn't always work out for me and by doesn't always i mean never because it turns out that god is smarter than me he's smarter than you but the holy spirit can comprehend the thoughts of god i mean this whole lesson is about an idea that humans have trouble comprehending because we can't relate the idea of one god but three distinct persons which are all one god who are all different but the same and it just doesn't work in our head doesn't compute because there's we don't have the mind of god we can't comprehend the thoughts of god but the holy spirit can he has intelligence which is once again like i said a characteristic of a person not a force or a thing what about this ephesians 4 30 and says do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption Anybody ever hurt gravity's feelings? You can try. Matter of fact, I'd like to see it. If anybody wants to try, they can come up right now if you want to give it a shot at hurting gravity's feelings. Or maybe you can insult the electricity powering. But we can't do that because it's only persons, only something that's a person that has mind, will, emotions, only those things can be grieved. And it says right here, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know why it tells you not to grieve the Holy Spirit? Because it's a possibility. We wouldn't be told not to grieve the Holy Spirit if it wasn't possible. But right here, and just a, uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but the way you grieve the Holy Spirit is by calling Him a liar. Is by not listening to what He says, by ignoring what He says to you. But it says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And the reason why He can be grieved is because He is a person. And I hope, and there's more to it. There's so much stuff I want to go through today. And as you can see, I'm going to be flying through Scriptures today again because I want you to get the big picture of it. But there's more and more of this. But I hope that you, you see today that we, we, did, we discussed three important attributes of what makes a person. They have a mind or intelligence. They have a will. And they have emotions. And we've just demonstrated today that the Holy Spirit has a will because he, he chose he was going to give the gifts of the Spirit to. We found out that he has intelligence or a mind because he can know the thoughts of God and he searches everything. And we know that he has emotion because it's possible to grieve him. And it's so important that we remember that because so often we'll accidentally refer to the Holy Spirit as it. And uh, I... I can just speak for myself because every now and then I'll catch myself doing it as well. And think about that. If I ever referred to any one of you guys as an it, 
we would be offended, right? We'd because that that um, marginalizes who we are. It actually it actually lowers us. It shows that we're lower in, in the person who says that it's eyes. But the Holy Spirit isn't an it. It's not a force. He's, he, I just did it then on accident. So he is not a force. He is not a tool. He is a person. Amen? We're also going to see that not only is the Holy Spirit a person, but he's equated with God in the Scriptures as well because he is God. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So like I said, the Holy Spirit, the third person, distinct individual person of the Godhead, is also God. You know, when we think about who God is, I talked about all the different analogies that we could use to describe God, and I said that most of them were really poor. But the one thing that we can, we can glean from them is if we look at, like we said, the, the analogy of an egg. And an egg has a, a shell, and it has a yolk, and it has the whites. And I said that that's a poor analogy to describe the Godhead because on, in one sense that the God is not a third of each person. You know, each person is fully God. So that, it's, it's a poor analogy in, in that sense, but it's a good analogy in the sense that every part has to be there for the egg to be whole. If the egg is missing any part, then it's, not, it's, it's an incomplete egg. It's not, it's not fully an egg. It's missing something. And that is true about God as well. Now, each person is not a third God. Each person is fully God. But God, with missing one of his persons, would be incomplete. He wouldn't be whole. But the good news is, is that uh, he never is. The Scripture over and over equates God to the Holy Spirit. They're all three part of the same God. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The varieties of service, but the same Lord. The varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them. And you'll notice that the Spirit and God, who are also both referred to as Lord, are used almost interchangeably in this passage. The gifts are the same spirit, the varieties of service, the same Lord, the varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them in everyone. They're used almost interchangeably into the same effect. And it's quite clear that we're seeing the Holy Spirit begin to be equated with God. But this isn't the only place that we see that, though. In Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We see them used together once again. And here we also begin to see, not only are we seeing uh, them, them being equated in, in this, this, this plan of baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the reason why we do that is because each person of the Godhead performs a specific role in salvation. And we talked about that earlier, that God the Father is the one who created the entire plan of salvation. We talked about this as well, and we'll see in a moment, this idea of even though the three persons are equally God, they also have different levels of authority and different purposes in, in, in the plan of salvation. And we see that here that, that God is the one that created the plan of salvation. He came up with the idea, but then he sends Jesus to execute that plan. And Jesus comes to earth and he lives as a man and he gives up his life so that we could be free. 
But the Holy Spirit is the one that, that comes to us, and He's the one that actually, through what Jesus did, washes and renews us. He's the one that testifies to us, and we're going to see all this stuff in more detail, but that is His purpose in the plan of salvation. He's the one that administers it in our life, and we see that all three of them here are looked at as equal because we're being baptized in all three of their names. Also, we see if we look at 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells inside of you? You guys have all heard that you're the temple of God? God's Spirit dwells inside of you? Look what Paul says just a few chapters later. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. Isn't it interesting that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but your body is the temple of God as well. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. And that's what I love about the Bible because it's written in such a way that, that the, the dumbest among us can understand it. Matter of fact, I think in many ways it comes as an advantage. Sometimes people are too smart for their own good and they try to talk themselves out of what is so clearly taught in the Bible. But the Bible is written in such a way that every man, woman, or even child can understand it. And it doesn't take much to go, well, if my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and my body is also God's temple, carry the one, the Holy Spirit is God. Once again, we see this over and over in the Bible. The Bible makes it clear that the Holy Spirit is also God. Which leads us to that weird conundrum, how can all three be God? And we'll have to wait till we get to heaven one day to fully understand the mechanics of it, but I can tell you right now, it's what the Bible teaches. And the Bible makes it clear because they're one and the same. God is the Holy Spirit, amen? We're also going to see that that. The Holy Spirit has characteristics and attributes of God as well, which is more evidence that the Holy Spirit is also God. John 14, 6 says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. And if you don't know, helper here is referring to the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll give you another helper to be with you forever. We're going to see that the Holy Spirit is showing the exact same attributes of God and that He is eternal. He is around forever. He will be with us forever. Hebrews 9.14 says this, How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It refers to the Holy Spirit as the eternal Spirit. Here Jesus says He'll be with you forever. And we begin to see that the Holy Spirit is beginning to have the same attributes of God applied to Him because this is the way God is referred to in the, in the Bible. Genesis 21-33 is one instance. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Revelations 1-8, God says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. We begin to see that God is always described is being eternal. And so is the Holy Spirit. Just more evidence that the Holy Spirit is also God. 
You know, and it's funny, as I'm preaching this, I feel like I'm laboring it over and over and over again, but the problem is, is many people don't understand this. They don't really grasp that He is a person and that He is also God. But we see the evidence over and over and over again. If you're still not buying it, let me show you some more. The Holy Spirit does stuff that only God can do. I bet you didn't know there was this much stuff in here in the Bible that really talks about and gives evidence that the Holy Spirit is God. But he does stuff that only God can do. This is in Job 33.4. It says, The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. It says right here, the Holy Spirit is the one that made The Holy Spirit is the one that created Job. You want to know who else is attributed with creating life? God. God the Father. Genesis 1.26 then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish in the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every other creeping thing that creeps on earth. And once again, we've talked about this scripture before, but the us in this scripture, let us make man in our image is just an indication that God has always had the three persons with him. One God, three persons, eternally in fellowship with one another. And all three were there when men was created, which is why Job can perfectly and accurately say, it is the Spirit of God that has made me. Even though Genesis says that it was God, because the Spirit of God is God. Amen. Psalm 104.30 says, When you send forth your Spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. This Scripture right here is actually referring to the animals and to the earth being created. He says, you sent forth your spirit, they are created, the animals, and you renew the face of the ground, you created the earth. Once again, who else has been attributed with creating the earth and all the animals in it? God. The Holy Spirit is God. It would follow that if the Holy Spirit did something, but it's also attributed to God, then we can be clear that the Holy Spirit is God. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, we see the Holy Spirit do something once again that only God should be able to do. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit in belief in the truth. Here we see that the Holy Spirit is the one that actually sanctifies us that makes us clean. And we, we already know, we actually talked about uh, last week when we were talking about Jesus, when He forgave sins as evidence that Jesus was God because only God can forgive sins. We have here the Spirit forgiving us and cleansing us as well, which is something that only God should be able to do. And it says that sanctification in our lives is done by the Holy Spirit as a result of our faith in the truth. And who's the truth? Jesus, our faith and trust in Jesus. He came and died for us. And faith in Him is what causes the Holy Spirit to come and work salvation in our lives, to sanctify us. He takes residence inside of us, the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He takes residence inside of us. You know, it's funny, I used to, to think about this because you, you find that in the, in the Bible that Jesus lives inside of you and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And we're God's temple, so God lives inside. And we're like, well, which one is it? Yes. Because they're all God. 
They're all inside of you. They take residence inside of you. The Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies you. And the reason this isn't a problem is because the Holy Spirit is God. It would be blasphemy to say that, that Wayne forgave your sins and cleansed you. Because I'm not God. But it's not when you say the Holy Spirit does it because He is, in fact, God. Amen? We also see that He is omnipresent. Another characteristic of God. Where shall I go? Psalm 139, 7-8. Where shall I go from Your Spirit? Or where shall I flee from Your presence? If I ascend to heaven, You are there. If I make my bed in shale, You are there. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, where can I go from your Spirit? And the answer is obviously nowhere. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent, which is an attribute that we've all understand that is God's. Once again, just more evidence. And the Bible talks about this way about God as well. Well, Jeremiah 23, 24, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Matthew 28, or sorry, Matthew 18.20 says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And in Deuteronomy 31.6 says, be strong and courageous. Do not, be, do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is you, for it is the Lord, your God, who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. God is always described as always being with us, but we have the same description of the Holy Spirit. Because why? The Holy Spirit is God. Amen? He's also omniscient. 1 Corinthians 2.10 For these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. We find that the Holy Spirit knows everything. Matter of fact, John 14.26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit can teach us all things. He searches everything. Even the depths of God, the Holy Spirit, like God, is omniscient. Because He is all-knowing. And like, like we've said before, when we look at this, we can always look elsewhere in the Scripture to see that God is referred to the same way. Job 37, uh, 16. Do you know the balancing of the clouds? The wondrous works of Him who is perfect in knowledge? This is speaking of God. Psalms 147.5, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The same attributes are always getting applied to God are also being applied to the Holy Spirit, which is why we can come to that same conclusion that God is in fact the Father. So what have we looked at today? One, we know that the Holy Spirit is God. We know that the Holy Spirit is, is not a force. He's not just some power. He's actually a person. And like I said, we looked at the Holy Spirit as God because He is one um, used interchangeably as God in many cases. He has described attributes of God. And the only conclusion we can come to is that He is God. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. And now I want to look at kind of what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is in a believer's life. John 16, 8 through, 8 through 11 says, And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer. 
concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So like I said, many people misunderstand what the Holy Spirit is, and He's a person. He is God. But many, many Christians misunderstand what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian as well. And the Bible says that He comes to convict this world. And this is an interesting thing because not only do we not understand the Holy Spirit, most of us don't understand what the word conviction is. What convict actually means. How many know that conviction is not a bad thing? So here's the thing is, many of us, when we hear the word conviction, we automatically think condemnation. And there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is, has the goal of redemption. Conviction has the goal of, of getting you past what you're going through. The, the purpose is to let you rise above what is holding you down. Conviction is about making you whole and restoring you and redeeming you. But condemnation, much as the word uh, says, the purpose of it is to condemn you, to tell you there's no way out. Condemna condemnation says that you failed and there's nothing that you can ever do. You're never going to amount to anything else. You're never going to measure up. The devil condemns you. Jesus convicts you. And the truth is, is that we should think that same way when we're dealing with people. If you see somebody in sin, you want to, to, to convict them and say, hey, why are you doing this? You're so much more than this. You are free of this stuff. You have victory over these things. And not tell them, you know, I can't believe you're doing that. You're, you're the worst. You're going to hell for that. You're awful. Like, you know, what? who would want to be with someone like that? There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. So one, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to tell everybody how awful they are. It says He comes to convict the world. And He explains it to us so that we're not confused. Aren't you glad when the Bible explains stuff to you so we don't have to come up with our own interpretation says he convicts the world concerning sin righteousness and judgment when we see that he convicts the world concerning sin our first thoughts is he's going to come in and tell us all the bad things that we're doing how wrong we're doing how awful we are but it doesn't says no concerning sin because they do not believe in me what does that mean it means the holy spirit is not here to tell us all of our faults and failures the holy spirit is here to tell us that we need a savior to believe in Jesus, to say that, hey, look, sin is a thing, but don't worry, Jesus came. Believe in Him, and that, that'll be all taken care of. He convicts the world concerning sin because they don't believe in Jesus. Truth is, as many people don't even believe they need a Savior because they're basically good people. Anybody ever notice that when people say that, they always qualify it? Basically, pretty much, usually, and that's a problem. They don't even know they have a need for Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is there, to convict them of their need for a Savior. And then it goes on and says that concerning righteousness is one not to tell people that they're not righteous, but concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. This is an interesting one. He's not coming down to convict people that they're not righteous. He's actually coming down to convict people that they are righteous when they believe in Jesus Christ. He says concerning righteousness. Why? Because I go to the Father. Why did Jesus go to the Father? Because it was finished. Because He gave His life. Sin was paid for. If you were a believer in Jesus Christ, you were righteous. And sometimes we don't believe that. 
Sometimes we look at our lives and our mistakes and our failures and we begin to condemn ourselves. So the Holy Spirit convicts you concerning righteousness and says, stop thinking that way. Jesus paid the price for that. Why are you trying to pay for it again? Jesus has gone to the Father. The debt has been paid. You are free. You are righteous. And then finally, concerning judgment. Once again, he didn't come to judge the world just like Jesus didn't come to the world. When he convicts the world coming judgment is to let us know that judgment has already been happened on the ruler of this world. The devil's been defeated. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. We have victory. And the Holy Spirit convicts us and reminds us that the ruler of this world's already been judged. You know, the, the thing that we think about is when we look at this world, it's falling apart, getting, things are getting crazy, stuff's getting messed up. Matter of fact, in a couple weeks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be preaching on, on you, asking you the question, are you ready for what's going on right now? You know, the end times, they're coming. I don't know when they're coming. It could be tomorrow. It could be another 100 years. But the question is, are you ready? Because we're going to see some stuff. We're seeing some stuff now. But we should always be reminded that the ruler of this world has been judged. That we have the victory. The good news is the book's been written, written. You can read it in the book of Revelation and guess what? We win. But he convicts us concerning the, the ruler of this world has been judged. This is essentially one of the Holy Spirit's roles in salvation. You know, we, we preach the gospel but it's the Holy Spirit's job to convince them, to convict them that they need a Savior. We can't make people be saved. We can't convince them. All we can do is preach the gospel, share the good news. And the Holy Spirit will do His part. Unfortunately, so many people have stubborn and hardened hearts and they reject the Holy Spirit. They grieve the Holy Spirit when He's speaking to them, trying to let them know that, hey, it doesn't have to stay this way. There's a Savior for you. But this is part of what the Holy Spirit does in his role in salvation. The other role is that he gives us a new life. Titus 3, 5 through 6 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In addition to pointing out that we need a Savior, it's actually the, the Holy Spirit that administers the realization of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It says that, that the Holy Spirit was poured on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior to do what? For the washing of regeneration and renewal of who we are. We get a new life inside of us. We get made brand new. I'm so glad that when Jesus died, we weren't just forgiven, but we were made brand new. We were, everything was washed away. We were renewed. Finally, we weren't under the bondage of sin, the, the shackles of sin. We can finally live the life that God called us to live because none of that stuff has a right on us anymore. Matter of fact, the, the only reason that that stuff has any power in our lives anymore is because we give it power in our lives. But it's been taken away. It doesn't have power in your life because you've been washed. You've been renewed. You've been regenerated by the working of the Holy Spirit inside of you because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know, that's the thing that many people don't understand. And I, I try to let everyone know when they get born again. But if you get born again and you ask Jesus into your heart, it, you're not just making a decision, but a miracle takes place inside of you at that point in time. 
A literal miracle takes place. The old man, who you are, gets removed. You get a new life placed inside of you. You are made brand new. You're regenerated. You're renewed. You don't just get a fresh coat of paint. You're brand new. Amen? And this is necessary. A necessary part of salvation. This is what, what Jesus said in John 3, 5-7. through 7. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh, and that which is born of the spirit, uh, flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. This is being born of the spirit, being made brand new. You know, we're born of flesh by just being born. Every single person is born of the flesh, but only when you say yes to Jesus are you born of the spirit. Are you born again? Amen. And then one of the things that many of us think about, and we just talked about it a second ago. I mean, we talked about the Holy Spirit being grieved. And many of you have heard what the unforgivable, about the unforgivable sin. Matthew 12, 31-32, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. You know, the, the unforgivable sin is dying in the state of speaking against the Holy Spirit. That's what it says. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What do we talk about the Holy Spirit role and purpose was is to what? Convict the world concerning sin, which means that they need a Savior. So when the Holy Spirit's telling you something and you speak against it, which is what it's referring to, then you're actually grieving the Holy Spirit. You're, actually, you're speaking against Him. And the unforgivable sin is to die in that state. Because that's the only sin that we have this life to live. We have this life to make a decision for Jesus Christ. We have this life where the Holy Spirit is convicting us concerning sin, letting us know that we need a Savior. And we can say, yes, I believe you, and we receive Jesus Christ. Or we can speak against Him and essentially call Him a liar. He says, no, you need a Savior. And he says, no, I don't. I'm basically a good person. No, no, you, really, you need a Savior. No, I'm, I'm, I'm usually a good person. It's all going to balance out in the end. It's when we reject the Holy Spirit. It's when we basically, and, and that's the thing is, is we don't realize this, but anytime when God is speaking to us, when we reject what he says, we're essentially calling him a liar. But it's the Holy Spirit that tells us that we need a Savior. And if we reject that, if we speak against that, then we will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Now the thing that comes up though is, well, many of us have rejected Jesus at one point in our life. Does it, is this a one-time thing? Like if I did it once, am I, am I, am I uh, out of luck? But the reality is, is that you have your entire life to make that decision. To stop speaking against. It's dying in that state of rejection that is the unforgivable sin because we have this life to say yes. But if you've ever rejected Jesus, and I can tell you myself that I did for many years, but then I finally said yes, and I'm no longer in a state of living the unforgivable sin. How do I know that? Because I've been made brand new. I've been washed. I've been renewed. 
we're going to see at the last scripture that we look at today that the Holy Spirit testifies with us that we are children of God. That's how I know I'm not in that state anymore because the Holy Spirit testifies with me that I'm a child of God. And if you're in that state right now, you don't have to stay there. It's the only sin that will keep you out of heaven is, is rejecting the Holy Spirit. Rejecting what He says. Rejecting salvation. But you don't have to stay there. Amen. The Holy Spirit is also sent to be our helper. John 16, 13-15 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. This is another one of those things. The Holy Spirit, even though He is fully God, is also under the authority of God the Father. Because He doesn't speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and then He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In verse 7 of this passage in John 16, 13, uh, 16 verse 7, it says that it's our advantage that Jesus would go away so that he could send the Helper. And this is what he's talking about. The Helper, the Holy Spirit is going to come when he's going to guide us in truth. He's going to be the one that speaks to us. You know, when, you, when you're reading the, the Word of God and you get that revelation of something new, you finally get something like you've never understood it before, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. He's revealing things to you. When you finally grasp something beyond uh, a book knowledge, beyond an intellectual understanding, you know, that's the difference of, of going, well, I know the Bible says I'm free. That's intellectual. But then when you finally get a hold of that and live it out in your life, when you're finally free of that sin that's been holding on to you, that's when the Holy Spirit reveals the truth of the Word of God to you. It says He's going to be the Spirit of truth comes who will guide you in all truth. And He's not speaking of His own authority, but He's speaking of the authority of God the Father. And then it also says that He's going to declare Jesus to you. Well, we already know that, right? He's coming to convict the world that they need a Savior. He's going to de declare uh, and glorify Jesus. And then He's going to take what is mine. This is Jesus speaking. He says, what is mine? He's going to give it to you. And then He clarifies he says, whatever the Father has is mine. And the Holy Spirit will give what is mine to you. That's why the Bible says that the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Every promise is yes in Jesus. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to make that a reality in your life. But He is our helper. He's sent to guide us. He's sent to disclose the will of God to us. He gives revelation. And He knows the will and mind of God. And He operates under His authority. And He shares that with us. Amen? Finally, the Holy Spirit also gives us power. Acts 1, 7-8, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The, the Holy Spirit comes to give us power to operate in this world, to be witnesses, to be effective at sharing the Gospel in Jerusalem, which is our own town, in Judea and Samaria, which is our, our region, the state or the country, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to do those things, and He does that by giving us the gifts of the Spirit. He gives us the power to lift up and encourage one another. 
And in addition to the gifts of the Spirit, the Bible says that He gives us the fruits of the Spirit as well. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, the thing is, is that when you're born again and the Holy Spirit takes residence inside of you and He washes you and He regenerates you and He makes you new, that means you're not who you used to be. You might have been grumpy and ugly and unloving, but now that you've been born again, the fruits of the Spirit will manifest inside of you because of His working inside of you. And if you're still not manifesting those things, quit fighting it. Let God have His way with you and quit trying to hold on to whatever you were holding on to in your past that for some reason you think is more important, but God just wants to work in you. And the Holy Spirit gives us power, and then as a result of His working inside of us, the fruits of Him working inside of us begin to show in our lives. Amen? And then finally, we'll end here today in Romans 8, 15-60. And I said we were going to end up here. How do I know that I'm not stuck in the state of of uh, the unforgivable sin is because the Holy Spirit testifies with mine. Romans eight fifteen through 16 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit testifies. Did you know that you can know that you were saved? You don't have to wonder. You don't have to be confused. You can put your trust in God and you can know. But on top of that, the Holy Spirit will testify with your spirit as well. There is no confusion. And how do you become a child of God? How do you get the Holy Spirit to testify with your spirit? John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. You ever heard the expression, we're all God's children? That's a lie, just in case you were wondering. It's something that people tell themselves to feel better. But the Bible says that you have to believe in Him to be a child of God. Now it's true, we're all created by God. We're all made in His image. That's true of everybody. But to be a child of God, to receive the adoption as sons whom we cry out of Father, to become a child of God, to have the Holy Spirit testify and bear witness of that in our lives, you have to believe in Him, in Jesus. And you can say all you want that you're a child of God, but the truth is, is that you have no inheritance as a son or daughter of God if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. That's when you get the right to be called children of God. And the Holy Spirit testifies to that truth in your life. You can know that you are saved. And we can have security and boldness when we approach the throne room of God. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, hopefully that helps you understand who the Holy Spirit is and what His role is in the life of a believer. I know that was a lot all at once. Hopefully you were taking notes. If not, get it online. Write this stuff down. Look up the Scriptures yourself. And ask the Holy Spirit to reveal this stuff to you. Because as we learned today, that's His job, is to guide you into truth. Amen? Hallelujah. Go ahead and bow your head. I want to give everybody an opportunity. And I think I've asked before, and I know everybody in this room is saved, but just to be clear, has anybody in this room uh, not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior?
Hallelujah. I also want to give an opportunity for everybody who is listening online. I just talked just a moment ago and, and said that uh, the truth is, is that not everybody is a child of God. Not everybody is entitled to the inheritance and was adopted in. And if you want that, if you want to have that inheritance, if you want to be called a child of God, the Bible says that you have to believe on Him. And on Him is Jesus Christ. The thing is, is that every single one of us has failed. Every single one of us has messed up. Every single one of us has sinned. And because of that, we are deserving of death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And I think if you just take a moment and, and look back at that, I don't think anybody would argue with that. We all know that we come up short. We all fall short. But the problem is there's not a single thing that any one of us can do to make ourselves right again. It's too late. We've all fallen. There's no way to make ourselves right with God because the only way to do so would be to pay the penalty, which is death. But I'm so thankful that God loved us so much that He sent His only Son to give His life to make that payment for us. So that if we would believe on Him, then we can declare that we are children of God. If we will put our trust in Jesus, that He gave His life to pay the penalty for our sins and He rose again so that we would have a brand new life inside of us. Like I said, that miracle that takes place. When you say yes to Jesus, you are made brand new. A new life is placed inside of you. And at that moment, you're given the right to become a child of God. And as the Scripture says here, you can go ahead and cry out, Abba, Father, which is a, a, a term referred to those who are in the family. You're actually one of the family. And at that moment, by putting your trust in Him, you'd be saved. You're born again. You're made brand new. If that's you this morning, go ahead and make that decision. Go ahead and, and pray this with me. Father, I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for me to pay the price and the penalty that I should have paid. He died the death that I should have died. He suffered the suffering that I should have suffered. But I thank you, Father, that he willingly gave himself for me. And I receive him as my Lord and my Savior. I put my trust and faith in him. And I thank you now that I can be called a child of God. If you prayed that with me today for the first time, I want you to know that a miracle just took place inside of you and you don't want to leave it there. So reach out to us by email, by phone, by the, the comments, and uh, uh, let us pray with you so that you can begin this journey. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.